The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. We are going to turn to God's Word now, Psalm 37. Psalm 37. Um, we are uh, we have a couple more psalms in our series, uh, the Songs of Jesus, and um, the reason uh, that we've been doing the psalms during the summer, partly just because I love the psalms and um, they feed my soul on a daily basis, but um, also because people are in and out, obviously like tonight, in and out, and so we're doing a psalm series during the summer just so that if you miss one week and you come in the next, you really haven't missed that much, although all the psalms do go together. Um, So we are in Psalm 37, and we are going to, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read this whole psalm for us, all 40 verses. And then we are going to pray and ask for God's help and look at this together. You guys cool with that? All right. Psalm 37 of David. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as a noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way or the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself for it tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, and but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you will carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land, and delight yourself, and delight themselves in abundant peace. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him, but the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees that his day is coming. The wicked draw the sword and bend their bow to bring down the poor and needy to slay those whose way is upright. Their sword shall enter their own heart and their bow shall be broken. Better is the little that the righteous has than the abundance of the the many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. The Lord knows the days of the blameless and the heritage and their heritage will remain forever. They are not put to shame in evil times. In the days of famine, they have abundance. But the wicked shall perish. The enemies of the Lord are like the glory of the pastures. They vanish like smoke. They vanish away. The wicked borrows but does not pay back. But the righteous is generous and gives. For those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land. And those cursed by him shall be cut off. The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. I have been young, and now I am old, and I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. He is ever lending generously, and his children become a blessing. Turn away from evil and do good. So shall you dwell forever. For the Lord loves justice, and he will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the children of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell on it, upon it forever. The mouths of the righteous utter wisdom, and his tongue speaks justice. The law of his God is in his heart. His steps do not slip. 
The wicked watches for the righteous and seeks to put him to death. The Lord will not abandon him to his power or let him be condemned when he is brought to trial. Wait for the Lord and keep his way. He will exalt you to inherit the land. He will look on when the wicked are cut off. You will look on when the wicked are cut off. I have seen a wicked, ruthless man spread his, himself like a green laurel tree. But he passed away, and behold, he was no more. Though I sought him, he could not be found. Mark the blameless, and behold the upright, for there is a future for the man of peace. But transgressors shall be altogether destroyed. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. Let's pray. Father, it is good that you've given us this psalm and we ask that as we look at it and we think about the days we live in and the lives that we live, God, would you help us to wait on you, to trust you. And Father, would you give us a sense of your spirit as we look at your word together, that we would enjoy and see Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for working through that psalm with me. It's good to be able just to read long sections of God's Word sometimes. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard, heard or engaged this question, but often it's asked when, uh, when you think about Christianity and the claims of Jesus, how can a good God allow suffering? How can a good God allow evil? It's kind of an age-old question, right? It's, look, there's a lot of bad stuff in the world, and you're saying that the God of the Bible um, is good, um, and if he's good and in control, it doesn't really make sense why there's all this evil stuff in the world. Um, whether it's evil like murder or evil like cancer, right? We're talking about this world is all messed up and how can a good God allow suffering? Um, which, honestly, when I'm, engage- when I'm engaging that question with my uh, friends who aren't Christians, um, the reality is it comes down to more of a functional question. Uh, because I don't think they have a good answer either, right? Um, the answer is often, well, it's just the way it is, um, or it's just the way the world works. Um, but functionally, how do we live in a world that has bad stuff in it, where a good God is over us? Uh, one of the ways that people respond to good to bad stuff in the world is just to say, like, that ah, doesn't really matter. Um, I don't know if you guys follow John Mayer. John Mayer, I'm huge fan of John Mayer. I think he's like the Eric Clapton of our day. Uh, but this tweet from John Mayer came out yesterday, or uh, two days ago. Remember, we were all just sentient little sacks of meat and bones who want to be admired and hugged and thought about the rest as a put on. <laughs> uh, I don't know if you noticed, can we put that back up? Uh, I got 64,000 ret- uh, likes. It means that 64,000 people saw that and said, I agree with that <laughs> in one way or another. That's one way to respond to the evil of the world, right? When people let you down, when they're suffering and pain and evil, just to think like, well, we're just a bunch of uh, meat sacks walking around and everything else just to put on. Doesn't appeal to me very much. And I think actually as we're looking at Psalm 37 tonight, uh, we begin to kind of engage what John is talking about. Um, The psalm is actually... It's a wisdom psalm uh, engaging this issue of evil in the world, right? So wisdom is uh, the framework of the world, and how do we live in light of God's framework of the world? How, how do we live in a world designed by God, orchestrated by God, governed by God? 
it does not and interact with a lot of the philosophical stuff. Like, how do we reconcile all these questions? It's more of a functional. How do we live in a world that seems so broken and yet God's in control? It's a wisdom psalm. So if you think like a wisdom psalm, like, you know, cats in the cradle, silver spoon, little boy blue, teaching a principle, lessons. So Psalm 37 is kind of a cats in the cradle type thing, lessons to learn of how to live in a world that has gone bad. You see in verse 1, we start out, fret not yourself because of evildoers, be not envious of wrongdoers. The psalm starts out with this category of wisdom of wrongdoers and the righteous. And we're going to be looking at those characters and how they help us to think through what does this mean for us to live in a world gone bad. But I think the purpose of this psalm is just simply this. This is the simple purpose of the psalm. We can trust our good God in an evil world. I think that's, all we're, that's, that's the main point of what we're learning in this psalm. We can trust our good God in an evil world. And there's basically, if you think of like a stool, there's three parts of this, how we know that we can trust our good, how do we function within a world God wrong? How do we trust our good God? Uh, we're going to be looking at, we can trust in the Lord and wait, we can trust in the Lord and do good, and we can trust in the Lord and look ahead. So we're just going to start out, um, we're going to start out with the first few verses, and we're going to kind of use them as kind of like the gateway into the rest of the psalm, kind of like the first few verses really kind of set the tone, and then the rest of it kind of fills out what's going on. But we're going to look at first, starting out, verses 1 and 2, trust in the Lord and wait, right? This is maybe not what you're expecting, <laughs> Right, to start out, right? Bad stuff happens in the world and we want a battle plan. God starts out and says, trust in the Lord and wait. So let's look at what this has to say to us. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious over wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Right, uh, down in verse seven. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way over the man who carries out evil devices. Right, you see, there's this, uh, there's this reality that ver- Psalm 37 just kind of says out front, right? Um, if God's in control, it seems like uh, bad stuff and bad people get away with a lot of bad things a lot of the time, <laughs> right? I, we don't have to go very far to realize that Psalm 37 and our week are very uh, similar, Right? I don't know what your coworkers have done, what the doctors have said, what um, people have said about you on Facebook or whatever, but it seems like um, bad people get away with things, with bad stuff all the time, right? I, I mean, I'm not sure I have to give examples of this. We can all kind of think of the coworkers that have done things that they've gotten away with. They've lied about us. Maybe they've maneuvered through the system and uh, maybe a, a manager has written a unflattering review that allowed somebody else to get ahead when you know that you were actually the one in the right. Uh, Family members that have turned their back on us or slandered us or gossiped about us and it seems like they're getting away with it. People get away with stuff, bad stuff all the time. And so verse verse 7, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, right? His way. The guy who's saying, my way or the highway, right? I did it my way, Frank Sinatra, (laughs) right? The guy who just defines, this is what I'm going to do, and I'm going to do it my way, and I'm going to run over people. I'm going to get my way. And the psalm starts out by saying, look, don't worry about it. 
don't anx- don't be anxious about it. Fret not yourself, right? That's that's uh, anxiety, right? There's a term for anxiety, right? Fret not yourself over the things, the bad things that happen and people get away with. There's there's basically two ways to respond uh, to bad stuff. The least the ways that this psalm holds out. There are there's anxiety and anger. Right? We can get anxious, like all this bad stuff's going down. <laughs> It's either going to clamp down on me or I have to come up with a, a plan B, right? I, I want all these things in life and bad things are uh, prospering. And so I need to kind of come up. I need to, to manage my life, right? Or there's anger, right? Pick up the pitchforks, go after the, the problem. I'm going, to ang- I'm going to get angry about this and I'm going to solve it in my own way. Uh, one way to kind of define anxiety, just a, this has been helpful for me over the years. Anxiety is imagining a future without God. Right, imagining anxiety is imagining a future without God. Because you notice here, right, verse seven: fret not yourself over the one who prospers in whose way, his way. Right, the anxiety is taking the world at face value and then projecting it in the future as though I'm God. I'm the one who gets to determine how this goes. And if bad stuff's happening, I'm going to kind of calculate how the world is going to develop over the next day or week or next month or years according to my wisdom, right? So we're talking about a wisdom psalm, right? However, I can envision the world um, and best possible scenarios. That is frightful. (laughs) I mean, of course we're anxious when we think about the future without God. When we think about the future as ourselves as the determiner of the world, I mean, you guys might be great, but you don't have the mental resources to design the world and govern it leading forward. Neither do I, right? We can't design and think of our lives in the future in any way more than what we've got we bring to the table. Anxiety is imagining a future that God, and then fear or the anger that we're talking about is taking control of the future and our own power, right? Right, anxiety is not... Um, Anxiety has different, multiple levels, and so does anger. Anxiety has all these levels of, um, you know, small things like, uh, what are what are they going to think about what I'm wearing today, <laughs> right? Like, not like nothing major, right? Not life changing, but is this, this shirt going to look good on me? Are they going to like me? Or when I have to talk to that coworker again, how's that going to go? Or when I get that report back, how's that going to go? And in my own wisdom, I don't really know what to do or how to think about that. Tomorrow, I'm going to be alone again. How am I going to do that one? Or there's uh, the big things, right? Uh, what if? What do I do if my spouse dies? <laughs> what do I do if I never have kids? What do I do if my job never changes? What do I do if my family leaves me? What do I do? You're talking about all the plan Bs. You know what I'm talking about, right? Plan Bs of the world. Small ones, from what I wear, to the big ones, to like jobs. Fret not yourselves is addressing all of these evil things that happen in the world that we have to kind of think about and manage. And God's saying, don't, don't be... Don't live in those things as though I don't exist. Don't put your mind in those things as though I'm not real or I'm not here. Right? Or there's the anger side of it, right? God, I am so angry about what's going on 
that I'm just going to solve this on my own power, right? Right? <laughs> Verse 8, just, you go from 7 to 8, just so you see I'm not making up this, like, this association. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil, right? So there's a correlation between anxiety on the one hand and anger on the other, right? Anxiety is like, I don't know what to do, but I've got to figure it out. And anger is, I know what to do, and I'm going to figure it out. <laughs> and both of them without God. God is not in the picture in either one of those. Right, I don't, I, don't think, I don't think it takes a lot to say uh, we live in a bit of an angry culture right now. <laughs> I don't know what your news feed looks like. I don't know what your Facebook feed looks like, or your Twitter feed if you use Twitter. I don't do Pinterest. I don't know what Pinterest looks like. Um, or, I mean, I'm occasionally on Instagram. But, you know, all that stuff, just, it's just ang- it just seems like constant anger. So you can read verse 8 and say, like, oh, wait, so what am I supposed to do? Just, like, be a Buddhist and just kind of, like, Zen my way out of not caring about any of this stuff, right? <laughs> right, refrain from anger and forsake wrath. There is a place for righteous anger, but I would say 9.9 times out of 10, your, our anger is not righteous anger. Righteous anger is, I want God's name to be vindicated. I'm so angry that God's name is being defiled. That If you're ever angry and your anger is, God's name is being defiled, Okay, let's talk. Most of the time, my name, my way is not being met. We feed the anger. Right? Why does it say, and forsake wrath, fret not yourself, it tends only evil? I think what's going on here is that David is looking at the realities of wrath and anger and saying, being possessed by wrath, being owned by it, you begin to kind of be warped by the people that are making you angry, right? Have you ever happened, like, I'm so angry that this has happened. Somebody misunderstood me. (laughs) Somebody's coming after me. Something's going wrong. And then, I don't know when it happens for you, but whenever I'm mowing the lawn, the inner court, (laughs) where I say everything that I've ever wanted to say, (laughs) and I get exactly what I want, and I get vindicated, man, that's why I don't like, actually, why I don't mow the lawn. (laughs) Because I'd rather not have to deal with that stuff. But you know what I'm talking about? Like, the the anger that you feel, you begin to think it over, it possesses you. It warps you. It tends only to evil. Right? We become, there's a sense in which we become like what we worship. Right? So, we have anxiety on the one hand, all this evil going on in the world. We have anger on the other hand I'm going to take control of this so what does God tell us right verse 1 and 2 fret not yourself because of evil doers be not envious of wrongdoers right you could almost kind of look at it and be like they got away with it <laughs> let's do it for they will soon fade like the grass wither like the green herbs right we are about to hit fall And all the evil in the world, just watch as the leaves fall off the trees. That will be their day. The evil that they seems to get away, people get away with. So what are we supposed to do? Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourselves over the one who prospers in his way or the man who carries out evil desires. Be still before the Lord. The reality is that when we when we engage the evil of the world, 
waiting is the most difficult thing to do because we want to we want to manage ourselves we want to become our own shepherd we want to become our own provider but god tells us to wait right waiting requires humility i want to depend on on your wisdom god and not my wisdom for this situation i'm going to depend on on your design for this and not my designs right and it's not just in general right it's not just kind of like generally god's good and i'm going to kind of depend on him right be still before the lord and wait patiently for him i think the reason that for him is in there is because it's personal right it's not wait patiently for the lord who governs the entire universe and he'll come and help you out someday no for him personally like you're talking to the person across the table for you God has design in mind we can wait right the other thing that waiting does reality is I mean kind of like um, you know the proverbial wisdom if you have if you write an angry email don't send it until 24 hours later just to kind of like cool off part of the reason we wait on the Lord just checks our own heart right what's your agenda here are you trying to get your own way are you trying to exalt your own ideas, right? I don't know about you, but it seems like most of my Facebook feed and my news article feed, um, there's a lot of political experts out there. <laughs> I didn't know it. <laughs> Everybody's a political expert about how to right the wrongs of the world. I don't think they know my life or the world as well as God does. And part of what we do is we, we wait, right? It checks our functional trust in God, right? We can all say God's good. He's got it together. He's kind of like next level up, like he understands how to do the world a little better than we do for being crass about it, right? But the reality is when we wait, it checks our functional trust in God. God, are you, are you going to really provide, right? And I, I'll tell you what, one of the, the most challenging ways that I've had to walk through this is with all of this stuff with the church plant, right? Like, God, what, where is the money going to come from? <laughs> Right, this is not like a tithing plea, by the way. It's just like God. We're like when we were fundraising at the beginning of all this. It's like God, th- there's no money. <laughs> like, where is this coming from? God, we, we've we've left all of our friends and family. Where are friends and family going to come from? Wait, trust. Right. I mean, it's kind of why you guys are part of my favorite people. <laughs> God answered those desires. We wait and we trust God. Because it che- it checks our functional desire to depend on Him, right? Paul po- quotes this actually in Ephesians four, four twenty six. He says, "Wait patiently in the Lord, right? Don't let uh, don't let the sun go down in your anger, right?" A lot of mar- a lot of married couples will like quote this as like, "Okay, we're not going to bed until we resolve this argument," right? <laughs> um, I don't know if you guys ever had that heard that like you know. We're not going to bed until, so like, if it takes till 3 a.m., we're going to resolve this and not go to sleep. I'm just going to say like, look, maybe we can kind of qualify that to say like, maybe just get on the same general like football field and then say like, you know, like when we got a little bit more sleep in us, then we can resolve this tomorrow. But I think what's going on when Paul says, don't let the sun go down in your anger and don't fret yourself here, right? It tends only to evil. I think the idea is basically, look, are you going to commit your way to the Lord are you going to commit your way to yourself, right? Are you, are you going to be committed to your anger? Or are you going to be committed 
to God's resolution of this. Does that make sense? Like, there's a reality that when the, when Jesus gives us the Lord's Prayer and he starts it out, your kingdom come, it's not my, my kingdom, it's not Jacob's kingdom come, it's God's kingdom come. So at the end of the day, I'm not sure how we're going to resolve this argument between Michelle and I or between my friend and I or whatever, but I'm committed to not my agenda, but to God's agenda. Waiting, it requires waiting. It requires an act of dependence upon God. God, I actually believe you're going to show up and help us here. You guys tracking with me here? All right. We're going to move on. Verse 3. You guys cool with that? So trusting God in a world gone wrong, we can trust the Lord and wait. Trust the Lord and do good. Right? So we could we could hear all this and then be like, oh, okay. <laughs> right? So we're not we're not technically going to be sitting on the top of the hill and just kind of waiting for God to give an answer and not do anything about it. But that's kind of what you're saying, right? Like we just kind of like sit in a prayer meeting and wait for God to do something and then God does it and we don't do anything. No, actually God has a very intentional plan for us to be a part of helping. Right? So verse three, trust in the Lord and do good. Right? Point straight out of the verse. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Right? So we're going from verse from the first two verses where it's in verse seven where it's kind of a pa- an active passive, right? You're like actively waiting. To here we're going to be we're going to be more proactive. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Right? Befriend faithfulness, the funny thing is that, that could actually be um uh, rendered or translated as uh, feed on faithfulness, right? Feast on faithfulness. Eat it. Eat faithfulness. What is, what is he talking about there? Befriend faithfulness, feed on faithfulness. What is going on in that verse? What's, the idea that's going on there is basically um, we think about who God is, the faithful one, and we dwell and meditate upon him, right? Before actually the Bible tells us about anything of like, here's the game plan. Go do this. <laughs> it says, before you go do good things, dwell on the good one. That's basically the paraphrase of that. Dwell upon God, right? This last week, we in our small groups, we went over the four G's um, that we sometimes will use in talking about um, what does it mean to live in the gospel. Right? The four G's are God is great, right? So I don't have to be in control. God is glorious, so I don't have to fear others. God is good, so I don't have to look elsewhere for satisfaction. God is gracious, so I don't have to prove myself, right? Befriend faithfulness. Dwell upon God's greatness, his goodness, his graciousness, his glory, right? We are looking to dwell upon the story of who God is, God who has from Genesis 3 on pursued people who gave God a big fat fist in the face. People who didn't want God to be around, right? Who didn't want God in their lives, who do not want God in their lives now, right? We, we look at the Bible and this whole book is all God's pursuit of people running away with, running away from him because he longs for people to be saved from themselves, right? Left to ourselves, man, we are a whole broken wreck, right? If you think you're a broken wreck now, just imagine if God didn't pursue you. The point of this whole book is not, here's your to-do list and let's get it done, all right? Pay your taxes, you know, love your neighbor. The point of this book 
is primarily God. This is who God is. Because we want to put our hands over our face and our ears and not listen or see the glory, the goodness, the graciousness of who God is. So befriend faithfulness, verse three, right? Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Feed on faithfulness means a long, intentional meditation upon who God is. He's faithful. (laughs) Who of us of the last week has been faithful to anything that we said we were going to do, right? (laughs) Right? From I showed up late to, um, I don't know, I thought mean things and said mean things, at least in my heart, towards other people. We don't dwell on ourselves. We we dwell upon God, the faithful one, who's good. Right? Verse 30, Psalm 34 is, you become like what you worship. And so when we, when we dwell upon who God is and the goodness of who he is and what he's like, it shapes us from the inside. So when it says, trust in the Lord and do good, when we think about who God is and the, the great grace of which he has gone out of his cosmic way to befriend us and make us his sons and daughters, when we have enemies, like legit enemies, right? We're going to look at that. There's legit enemies. Our, and our actions towards them become seasoned and flavored by his grace and goodness to us. All right, so there, there's real enemies, right? Verse 12, the wicked plot against the righteous and gnash his teeth at him, right? Verse 14, the wicked draw the sword and bend their bow to bring down the poor and needy, to slay those, to slay those whose way is upright, All right? Verse 21, Right, the wicked borrows and does not pay back, but the righteous is generous and gives. I, I still remember the guy who borrowed my CDs and stole them in high school. But it's not just talking about CDs. We're talking about borrowing our livelihood, borrowing from us and taking from us. I, I remember it counts. If you borrowed something from me and you didn't give it back. <laughs> I'm kidding. Verse 27, turn away from evil and do good. So, so you shall dwell forever. The Lord loves justice and he will not forsake his saints for they, pre- they are preserved forever, but the children of the wicked are cut off, right? So what's been going on? There are major, major evils that are going on, right? Guys who are swindling other people, right? Who are plotting to kill other people, right? Uh, what else is going on here, right? They plot against other people and they gnash their teeth, Right, nasty teeth. I think is just an idea of like slandering and talking about people behind their back. There's some real evils going on here, and so before we get to that, God says, "Dwell on who I am. Think about my grace towards you. We who gnashed our teeth at God, and His grace towards us now equips us to think this is what God is like. Right, and now we're engaging the real evils of the world." It seasons our lives to be, I mean, outlandishly gracious in ways that don't make sense. I want to introduce you to this guy, Daryl Davis. Put the first picture up, Daryl Davis. He is, Daryl Davis is an R&B musician, uh, jazz guy, I mean, incredibly gifted. Uh, I'd like for him to be leading worship. He just looks like he's got it down. Can I show you the this, this second picture? This is Daryl's hobby. You recognize the guy? What he's wearing on the left? 
It's a Ku Klux Klan dragon or whatever they are. Right, the next picture. Here's Daryl um, talking with a bunch of Klan members. That's his hobby. Daryl's hobby is befriending white supremacists and getting to know them. And wouldn't you know that he's led hundreds of white supremacists out of the Ku Klux Klan and other like organizations from being hate-filled people to being loving people. I read this article about him. By the way, he's, there's, a, there's a documentary on Netflix about him, Accidental Courtesy. I haven't watched it yet, um, but I recommend it I, just, to, just to get to know him and see what he does. But he, here's, here is one anecdote from Daryl's life. I had one guy from, the, uh, from an organization chew me up one side and down the other saying, you know, we've worked hard to get 10 steps forward. Here you are sitting down with the enemy, having dinner, putting us 10, 20 steps back, <laughs> right? So here's this, this um, social justice uh, organizer coming after Daryl and saying, look, bro, you are setting us back by sitting down with the enemy, right? You should hear th- Psalm 37 in your head when we engage, when we hear this. Daryl says, I put, I put my robes, I pull out my robes and hoods and say, look, this is what I've done to put a dent in racism, I've got robes and hoods hanging in my closet by people who've given up that belief because of my conversation sitting down to dinner. They gave it up. How many robes and hoods have you collected? And then they shut up. (laughs) Right? Daryl is actually, this can come out in the documentary very strongly, but he's a Christian. And he goes on to talk about, look, I actually go on to share my faith with all these white supremacists who are claiming Christ and saying, like, what is up with you claim Christ and then you're burning a cross? Like, that does not make any sense. But he's doing it in the context of a friendship with somebody who literally thinks that he's like second class at least below him, right? His literal enemy. Here's Daryl sitting down and befriending these enemies of his because he knows at the core of who he is that God sat down from the table and befriended Daryl, who was God's enemy, and won him by the grace of Jesus. Right here's, I, I want to get to know Daryl and be like him because <laughs> he's sitting down with guys who are literally his enemy. So when we turn and think about our neighbors or our family who are not as extreme as that, right? I don't, I don't think many of us have family um, like Daryl to white supremacist, right? <laughs> Maybe we do. But we all have people that are in one way or another not for us. Or maybe just people in our lives that we just have trouble loving. And what this is saying, do good. You've been defined as a Christian by God doing good to you that you didn't deserve. So when we turn to talk about what does it mean to love our neighbors, right? The people across the street from us or on our street or on our block or in our section of the city. Well, the first thing is to pursue them, to get to know them, to know who they are, right? And and the reality is, as we do this, we'll probably begin to live in these realities. People slandering us, talking about us. But our hope is not in, in them becoming a part of our fan club. Right? Our trust is in a good God, and that he's going to sort it out. Right? That's what this whole song. God sorts it out. 
you don't you don't get to decide the future, right? We talked about anxiety. All right, you don't get to decide the future or the agenda. Do good. Trust that God's got it under control, right? Maybe one way that we can apply this, right, is making a priority to love people in our lives who have no power. You know how Jesus talks about, he tells parables about what what good does it do you to give a cup of water to somebody or invite somebody to a party who can invite you back? Right, remember that parable of his? It says, look, invite people over who can't invite you back. Like that's the point of grace is not to like, like a tit for tat, right? And I, I wonder if that's why there's all these stories of Jesus being with kids in the Bible. His kids didn't have anything to offer Jesus. But Jesus delights in engaging people who have no power, right? Like who are the people in our lives, people on our street, people in our area that have no power? How can we engage them and do good to them? To love the people in our lives who have, have nothing to give us back. Maybe we'll become like Daryl and get people writing about us and angry at us for doing the work of God. So we've been seeing how functionally, what does it mean to functionally live in a world that's just so evil? First thing is to wait on God, right? to trust in the Lord and wait. Second is trust in the Lord and do good. So it's not just, you know, passive Zen. <laughs> trust in the Lord and wait. Trust in the Lord and do good. And then to kind of turn our eyes forward, trust in the Lord and look ahead. One of the things about the psalm is that it's actually an acrostic. So like an acrostic is like if you had like A through Z, it's like first line starts with an A, second line starts with a B, second, third line starts with a C. The psalm is like that in Hebrew, uh, which I'm not going to read to you because I can't read Hebrew. <laughs> I can read my English Bible though. Um, I can't read the Hebrew alphabet. I'm working on it. But verse 29 sticks out. It's actually not, it doesn't fit in the acrostic. But if you look at verse 29 with me, the righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. If you picked up on that when we were reading through it, there's a lot of this land language of what's going, what's going on, right? There's people who dwell on the land, there's people who don't dwell on the land all through this psalm, right? People get cut off from the land, people who do dwell on the land. Right, so... There's a development that happens through the psalm. So, right, so we've read in verse 7, right, uh, fret not yourselves over the one who prospers in his way, the one who carries out evil devices. In verse 9, for the evildoers shall be cut off from the one, uh, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. Right, verse 11, the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. Right, verse 18, the Lord knows the way of the blameless and their heritage will remain forever. Right, so there's a foreverness that's happening with receipt, with inheriting the land and being a part of God's blessing upon the land. In verse 22, for those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land, but those cursed from him shall be cut off. Verse 24, though though he falls, so he's talking about the righteous one who trusts in God. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong for the Lord upholds his hand. All right, so this picture of, it's not that the people who of God are perfect, but the ones who are set against God, the wicked, they don't get any inheritance of the world. Right? Jesus actually picks up on this. If you, I don't know if you picked up on that when we read verse 11. The meek shall inherit the land. Right? We're gonna, Matthew 5, 5, right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount at the beginning where Jesus is starting out his main preaching ministry. Right, He says, let me get there real quick. Oh, I had it marked already. Blessed 
are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And then verse 5, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. We're actually going to look at, we're going to start Matthew at the end of the year. So I'm looking forward to looking at this together more in depth then. But why does Jesus pick up on verse 11 here? Say, the meek shall inherit the land. Why the meek and not the sinless, right? Why, why does it say meek? Because you could read this. I, I, if I were to read this with my non-Christian friends, I think what they would say is they would, they, we would look at this and they'd say, see, you guys are a bunch of legalist hypocrites. You guys think that you have to be sinless and perfect. That's what it means when it says righteous, right? <laughs> Upstanding. You guys are a bunch of hypocrites because I know you, Jacob. <laughs> You've gotten angry at me before. <laughs> I know that you're not sinless, Jacob. Well, that's true. That's why it says the meek and not the sinless, because it's the meek that know grace, right? The meek are the ones who who know that they are the enemies of God. They know, right? The meek shall inherit the land, but the, and delight themselves in abundant peace, right? They know that they have been the ones who have not been peaceful with God. They know that they are the ones that have not made peace with God, but God is the one who has pursued them. You have to remember who is this written by? David. <laughs> I mean, we're talking about one of the most jacked up characters in all, in the whole Bible, right? Right? An adulterous murderer who was leading, who was leading his country astray, who actually uh, kind of turned a blind eye to, to abuse in his own family, <laughs> um, at the end of his life, was counting up his, his, uh, his forces in case God didn't pull through, right? He was setting up a plan B. I mean, like, if you think of like a sin category from the top 10, I mean, David's done them all. And David's telling us, right, the meek, right, the meek shall inherit the land. The meek are the ones that know that they do not deserve anything. And yet God, by his grace, has looked upon them and given them an inheritance in himself. All all this cut-off language draws us back to Jesus, right? Jesus quotes us at the beginning of his preaching ministry in Matthew. The meek, they shall inherit the earth. There's this reality in the Bible where the earth is where God blesses and dwells with his people. And to be cut off is to be cursed. So right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he's thinking, Psalm 37. I want my people to be meek, but they deserve to be cut off. Right? That's a part of the reason why Jesus is lifted up on a cross. Literally cut off from the earth. Lifted up between heaven and earth. And cut off in our place for the sins that we've done before God. So that we could receive the rich blessing from God for the things that we, that all the blessing God that we do not deserve. Right, Jesus is the one that's lifted off the land. Right, We deserve to be cut off. We deserve to be to blown smithereens, to be like uh, the crumbs on the edge of a table blown off the table. <laughs> we deserve that. But Jesus is the one who's lifted up. He's the one that's blown on by the wrath of God. He's the one that's lifted up off the ground and placed between heaven and hell, dying in our place. So that when we look at him, we think, God, we deserve what Jesus got, except we deserve it for all eternity. Jesus took the full eternity of God's wrath for us in our place on the cross so that we are blessed by God and we enjoy the inheritance of all that God gives, right? Which is himself. 
right? We're not talking about perfect marriages or perfect parenting or perfect jobs or perfect futures or, you know, setting our hope in those things. God doesn't promise those things. He promises himself that he'll dwell with us and be with us because Jesus was cut off in our place, right? That is the story of grace at the end of this psalm. I don't know if you picked up on this here at the end of verse 33. Verse, the Lord will not abandon him to his power. Right? We won't be defined or ruled by the power of evil in this world or in ourselves or let him be condemned when he is brought to trial. So he's talking about you. When the accuser, when Satan says, how can you come before a good God, a great God, a glorious God, having done what you've done? This verse says, God will not let you be condemned when you're brought to trial. You got somebody that's got your back and he's the great God of the universe. He comes with you to trial. Right, verse 37. Mark the blameless and behold the upright for there is a future for the man of peace. (laughs) Mark them. Mark you. You've been marked. How are you going to be marked? Well, to begin with, we're not blameless. But if you've been marked in Christ, if you look to him, this bloody savior on a cross in our place, who was marked for our transgressions, right? Right, what? He was pierced for our iniquities and, and struck for our transgressions against God. Our sins, our many sins against God were marked on Jesus so that, right, and 2 Corinthians 5, 21, or what does it say? For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, right? He was the one who was blameless. Jesus is the only blameless person to ever walk the face of the earth. But God made him to be sin, marked by our many sins, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So then, right, verse 37, mark the blameless and behold the upright, for there is a future for the man of peace. Right, Jesus actually starts out in Matthew, right, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Right? To be at peace with God. Marked by God by peace. Verse 40, 38 through 40, but transgressors shall be altogether destroyed. Those who love and define are defined by their sin the future of the wicked shall be cut off you're going to get cut off one way or the other it's either jesus cut off for you or cut off from the earth the salvation of the of the righteous is from the lord he is our stronghold in the time of trouble right if this was about perfect people we wouldn't need salvation (laughs) verse 39 the salvation of those who trust in jesus is from the lord and he is their stronghold in time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. There is a forever aspect of dwelling with God, right? That is why right, it talks about dwelling with the Lord forever, right? We, we look to dwell with God forever. This looking to the cross means that we no longer have fear being cut off. But there's a forward looking, right? We read it all through the psalm, looking forward. The dwelling with God in the land, this this world, the world that we sit in, this building, it will be renewed and we will dwell with God and see perfect trees and breathe perfect air and breathe in perfect lungs 
and have no more sins that define our body, but we look forward to what we dwell with the Lord. Which means a part of the way in which we fight the persistence of evil in our own lives, say, okay, this is not the end. There is coming a day where all the sad things of this world will become untrue. They will no longer define the world or our lives or our families or our friends or our church, right? We look forward to that day. I don't know if you guys know the name Richard Baxter. He was a Puritan from the 1700s. He did an incredible amount for the gospel. Somebody asked him, how are you so productive? He says, I think about heaven 30 30 minutes every day. I'm not saying that we have to do that. But I think when we look forward, we trust in the Lord and look forward, that's where we're going. That is the reality we're defined by. Not this evil junk going on. That's the world we're defined by. We're, we're actually like aliens living in a foreign country. This is not our home. That's our home, looking forward. And so that means we, that's where we're going. Man, I'm going to go out, go all out and serve the people who are going to spit in my face and hate me because <laughs> they, they are not a part of the world that I'm going to. But maybe they'll join us there. And I don't know how to do it, so I'm going to wait on the Lord. I'm going to wait for him. I don't, I don't know how to do this, God, so I'm going to wait for you to show me. Teach me. Show me your goodness and your grace. All right, see, in a world gone evil, I think what this psalm does is it equips us to functionally trust a good Lord. We can trust our good God in an evil world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this psalm and how it is shaping us to trust you, to lean on you and to believe that you're going to help us. Lord, this world is filled with so many things that do not make sense. So we ask that as we think about this, that you would shape us by the gospel to be people who trust you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.